just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? We love Monday nights because it's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Huge show tonight. No time to dilly-dally. Got to get right into it. Ira, unfortunately, not in studio with us, but good reason, Ira. You've been traveling. <laughs> You've got some games in this weekend. Yes. Planes, trains, and automobiles. West Palm Beach to uh, uh, Baltimore, Walt uh, PWI Airport, and was there for almost three hours waiting for a rental car in line, standing in line from 10.15 to 1 in the morning. Drove to uh, Harrisburg, slept there for about two hours, and went to Penn State. Uh, to go see Penn State, Michigan on Saturday. And then I went to the Steelers-Lions uh, game in Pittsburgh on Sunday. I have, of course, two <laughs> both games freezing cold. Uh, I got rain there. It was enough to be cold. I got a lot of rain in the Pittsburgh. And then I just flew to New York, and I'll go to on Tuesday night to the Nets-Warriors game. So we'll get a little NBA action on Tuesday. And that should be really exciting with Steph Curry playing the way he is, going into play, Durant playing how he is. Should be great. Yeah. I, I felt terrible for you, though, watching that the Steelers game on TV especially because the overtime just kind of dragged on it looked like you know it looked like a tie uh, every time the Steelers would make a mistake but just the, the rain the entire time I'm like Ira must be wanting to just get home and get out of the rain in the cold but uh, you, you stuck I, it out I was nervous I, I've been in Florida so long it was the first cold weather game I've had in two years uh, but I I felt like I needed to go to a freezer to, to practice, to get myself, like, being in a freezer for, like, a whole day. But I was double-layered, quadruple-layered the right way. I mean, I've been to colder games. I went to a, the Dolphins-Steeler games a few years ago. There was, like, 18 degrees, but sunny. It was the coldest game I've ever been to because I was just cold the whole time. But I wasn't really – I never felt cold. And I just – it rained, but it wasn't, like, horrendous rain. The whole problem with the rain is I was trying to cover my camera to get my pictures out. My pictures on Iron Sports on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. They're really good. I have some videos. I, I got both touchdowns of the, in the Steeler and Lion game. I got both touchdowns of video and some really good videos of the Penn State-Michigan game. We're going to be joined by uh, Pete Corrado at 740. Tell us about Pete. Uh, he's an NBA writer. He has a book called From Hang Time to Prime Time. I haven't really talked to a lot of NBA this year. Um, we're not, it's, he wrote a book about sort of like we had when uh, David Stern passed away with Tim Frank on, more like what, where did the NBA come from and, and how the NBA went from being like a minor league a joke of a league into this, what we're watching you know, today in terms of this huge sporting event. And credit with a lot with David Stern and all the marketing and everything. So he is a really good book out, great writer. And so I'd love to have him on and we're going to talk about that. Top right into NCAA, Ira. And just a couple of weeks left. I know you're starting to get a little depressed about that, but let us know where we are. Well, I just, I really think this is what it is. It comes down to there's nine teams chance with, with four teams get in the playoffs. There's nine teams next year, a few years from now, they might make 12 or 14, which I think is a huge mistake, but Georgia's in. I mean, there's no way Georgia plays Georgia Tech next. Um, they play the SEC title game. If they lose, they're in. They're undefeated. They're the only undefeated team that plays in a power five conference. They're in. So give one spot to Georgia. Alabama is number two. They are, they play Arkansas and they have to play Auburn next. They'll be 20 point favorites next week and they'll Auburn. They'll be another 20 point favorite. Even if they lose the title game, I still think if it's close, they're going to get it'll be the first team with two losses. But I still think they, they might beat Georgia. Now this the next the three spot is held. They just had the cultural playoff selection. It's Oregon. Oregon has had a lot of clay. They lost to Stanford. They've had close wins, but they the best win was they beat Ohio State at Ohio State. So that's why they're third and Ohio State's fourth. But this week Oregon goes at Utah, and they're three point underdogs at Utah. And I look for Oregon. I watched them play last week. I, I'm against Washington State. Not impressed at all. I really think they're going to lose. I think they'll lose this week. They could lose against Oregon State, or they could lose again, maybe against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And 
the Big Ten, as much as we say there's four spots, the Big Ten has one of them. Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan all have one loss. But they all play each other now. Ohio State plays Michigan State this week, Michigan the next week. And probably whatever, most people think Ohio State will beat Michigan State. They're favored by 20, and then they play Michigan. But if somehow Michigan State beats Ohio State, then Michigan beats Ohio however it works around Unless Michigan State and Michigan both finish with one loss, uh, then that'd be interesting. But it looks like, I mean, there's definitely going to be one Big Ten team with one loss, and if that's the case, they're going to be in. And then the question is, that'll be it. If Oregon's out, then who's that next spot? If one Big Ten team gets in, Bama and Georgia, and that's where Cincinnati, they're number five. Uh, they, I thought they'd be in the, the top four, but the committee did not put them there. Um, they don't like their schedule, very weak schedule, but they have the, the win at Notre Dame. Uh, but they play SMU this week. Then they go East Carolina in the ACC championship game. This is their toughest week. SMU is like 8-2, and two, so this will be tough for them. But the other, only other competition would be either Oklahoma, which lost last week to Baylor, or Oklahoma State. They, Oklahoma plays Iowa State this week. They probably could, could lose that game. And Oklahoma State might have one loss. But I think at the point is I think it's either going to be Cincinnati or Oklahoma State or Oklahoma State for that final spot. Well, you're asking me, what about Notre Dame? Notre Dame was one loss, but their one loss was to Cincinnati, and there's no way they're going to put Cincinnati and Notre Dame in no matter what. But they really played. Their schedule was weak. Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, Virginia Tech, USC. I mean, Wisconsin was probably their best win. And uh, the question is, is, is they, you know, what, where does Notre Dame fit into with this? And that, that loss to Cincinnati was just it was the thing that, that really hurts them. And they played Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech and Stanford left. There's no, they have no championship game to get extra points on, but that's the situation. So I really think it's going to kind of come down. The big question will be if, if Alabama loses in the SEC championship game with two losses, would they get in over a Cincinnati or an Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? And I have to think that they would, <laughs> you know, kind of just based on how things have gone historically. I know we haven't been doing this that long, but, I mean, can you see, if, as long as, you know, even if they get beat by two scores, I still think they're going to put, put Bama in. Well, they, and there was, a, there was interesting with the controversy this week was that they put Michigan over Michigan State. It was ridiculous. It doesn't mean anything in the long picture, but on the, they had Michigan 6 and Michigan State 7. Well, Michigan State two weeks ago beat Michigan. Yeah. And they have all these factors. Each team is, they beat the same amount of teams. They both look good, whatever. I mean, it was insane that they put Michigan over Michigan State when Michigan State beat them. The whole purpose is to figure out who's better. Did you think playing on a field and, and, and who wins the game is the most important thing? And Michigan State beat Michigan, so they, they should be, you know, they, I, I thought it was crazy that they did it that way. With the Ohio State-Oregon, they put Oregon ahead of Ohio State. But um, it doesn't really matter because we'll see how this works. Ohio- Michigan State ends up losing to Ohio State or whatever. We'll see what happens. But in the scheme of things, that was uh, uh, that w- it was just th- they. This committee is a different people. Like each year, they try to look what the committee does, but every year it changes. And so they're trying to read the tea leaves to see how this committee will look at this. And maybe two losses won't. You know, before no two loss team has ever made it. Maybe this committee doesn't care if you have two losses. That's why Alabama will get it. Let's go back to where your weekend all started, Ira. Michigan versus Penn State, and this one is pretty darn cold for you, too. Well, it was cold, but I'll tell you, Michigan fans were nice. Unlike Ohio State fans, Michigan fans were great. I think people, the 12 o'clock start is just awful for football. People, it's hustle, they hustle to get there. The wind outside, it was very windy. Anyway, <laughs> when I did it, it was really, really windy, and it was really cold, so it made it even colder. But when, it get, when, it, when, when we went into the game, there was like the wind in the stadium wasn't that great. I mean, it seemed like I was not cold. I felt comfortable. Actually, the sun came out a little bit. But the thing that didn't come, the, I was really intrigued about the Michigan's defense. Aiden Hutchinson, who people feel is going to be one of the top players in the draft, he, when you see him in person, he's enormous. 
He had three sacks, three tackles for losses, and they have another defensive lineman called Ajobu who had two sacks two and two tackles for loss. I mean, Clifford, Sean Clifford for Penn State, was sacked seven times. Now he's been sacked 18 times in four games. And Penn State has no running game at all. And this is the great Penn State rushing. You've got Suwan Barkley, Miles Sanders, Jonah Carter, Larry Johnson. I mean, they great running backs Penn State has had, but they're now ranked 120 out of 130. But uh, it was one of these games where Penn State, it, it, at one point you thought Penn State was not going to win this game. They come and take the lead 17-14, and then, they, uh, and then Michigan had to drive at the end. But it was, it was, it was just a weird type of game where uh, Penn State's James Franklin is getting criticized. And, and the one is the first quarter. They, uh, they took a 3 nothing lead. They get down. They drive down again. It's a, they try a fake punt which they get, and then that's fourth and two, and they try a fake field goal, which is crazy play by throwing to the <laughs> kicker. And you're like, you have John Dodson, and like, why are you trying this? And the kicker's trying to catch the ball, and it didn't, it didn't make no sense, and Franklin's getting criticized for that. And then the second quarter, Michigan finally had this great drive to go up 7-3, and, uh, and then uh, Penn State, Michigan went at the half. I mean, Harbaugh was like, coaches that criticized for their moves was Franklin Harbaugh. So Harbaugh, at the end of the first half, instead of playing the ball, goes for on fourth and one on the 50, doesn't get it, leaving Penn State a chance to kick a field goal for 52 yards, which Stout hit, made it 7-6. But then in the third quarter, uh, Michigan's first possession, they go down easy. 75 yards, nine plays. There was no third downs. Penn State defense looked horrendous. They make it 14-6. But after that, they did nothing. I mean, they were throwing balls. King McNamara on like third is like the Steelers sometimes. On third and like three, he's throwing like 40-yard passes. It didn't make any sense. Um, but Michigan and Clifford was getting sacked trying to throw interceptions, it seemed like, but Michigan couldn't can't, can't get any of the interceptions. And then, uh, then Michigan went, we hunted, Penn State hunted the ball down to the Michigan one. They go three and out. And then Clifford had this amazing drive. So he, he, uh, he got hit for, he got hit and fumbled the ball. It was 10 feet away from him. This great picture where they, where Michigan doesn't get the ball when it's like lying on the ground. Like anyone, they, no one could even see the ball, even though it wasn't mud or anything. It was just the ball was sitting there. But on, they converted three fourth downs, fourth and four from the 35 to Jahan Dotson for five yards, fourth and two on Michigan's 22 for Dotson for 15 yards, another fourth and goal on the two. And they tied 14-14, and then they had, uh, and then they, uh, and then it's tied it to make it 14-12. And then Dotson, and they go two-point conversion. Remember, they had trouble with Illinois even getting a two-point conversion. Made it 14-all. And then Michigan gets the ball up with seven left, and the first, like, two plays, McNamara fumbles the ball. Penn State gets the ball. They can't score a touchdown. Make it 17-14. And then you're thinking, wow, like, you know, maybe Penn State's going to win this game. But then McNamara threw this ball three minutes ago to Eric All, who's maybe the slowest person on the field. He catches the ball on, the, on like, the 40-yard line. And Penn State has, like, runner defensive backs. It went four twos and four threes. And they could not catch up to him. And Eric All was just running, and Penn State couldn't. It was like lumbering and bumbling, and, and I could not believe that uh, three of the Penn State defensive backs could even get to him. And he goes in, scores a touchdown, make it 21-17, game over. But uh, it was Penn State had three and out the next series. But a bad loss for Penn State. I mean, now they're a 6-4, and four, another bad year. I mean, they've lost to Michigan. They've lost to Ohio State. They've lost to Iowa. They've lost to Illinois. And uh, Michigan's put themselves back, you know, with a chance if they beat Maryland this week and, and Ohio State next week, they'll be playing in the college football playoff. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here. Pete Carrado joins us at 740. Let's move on, and Georgia keeps on rolling. They're undefeated. I'm surprised Tennessee even scored 17 points here, right? Well, I think you'd be surprised. 
Tennessee held Hooker, Hendon Hooker scored a touchdown, 7 nothing. I think Georgia was like, what happened? And it, it, if Georgia has any weakness, if your a quarterback can throw on, I mean, it's hard. They, their defense is unbelievable. They're averaging, giving up only seven points a game. But uh, it was uh, the, after that. They, it, in the second quarter of every game, just don't go to sleep on Georgia. Because Tennessee fumbles, Tennessee gets interception. It's, just, it's like every single game in the second quarter, this Georgia defense is just dominating. And, and Georgia offensively is crazy. They Stetson Bennett just as a normal game, 200 yards, one touchdown, no, no JT Daniels. They use like seven running backs. And nobody from Georgia is going to win the Heisman Trophy. But they are the most one of the most dominant number of one teams. Unlike when LSU was so dominant, they're just defense. And this a day and age with offenses and offenses. It's just, but their defenses create turnovers. I mean, you would love to have the Georgia defense on a fantasy like NFL team. They're like <laughs> perfect in terms of for that. But uh, I, I would say that Tennessee, they had 100,000 fans at the game. Peyton Manning was there. Their, uh, 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 Josh Heifel's their coach now. And I think they might be turn. I know you're a big Tennessee fan. They're sort of be turning the corner a little bit in this game. But, but a huge win for Georgia. And they now have won the SEC. They've undefeated their 8-0 uh, in their fourth SEC title game in five years. Let's go and talk about Alabama. They did everything they had to do against New, uh, New Mexico State. Well, it was just the practice for them. The idea was the line was 52, and it was debating what could happen. And uh, Alabama won. It's one of those. It's with the SEC schedules. They're easy games. Georgia has one uh, coming up but, uh, next week against Charleston Southern. But the point is they, they, they're they smart. I think it's better to do what they do is to put them at, like, near the end of the year, these easy games. But uh, Bryce Young was 21. He looked for Heisman Trophy. and let him put some numbers up, 270 yards, five touchdowns. He now has 3,000 yards for the season, 33 touchdowns, and only three interceptions. And Paul Tyson, the great-grandson of Bear Bryant, got in the game at quarterback. So that was interesting. Very cool stuff. Oregon did what they had to do uh, against uh, Washington State. Yeah, I mean, I watched the game. It was 14-14. Washington State, their, their head coach uh, was fired because of COVID vaccination rules. They lost four of their assistants. I was shocked they were even in the game. I mean, I've seen Oregon play four or five times, so not impressive. Anthony Brown, this quarterback, he ran for 135 yards, passed for 123. They, it's just they, they seem to just barely get by this game. They won. Washington State made mistake after mistake after mistake. So we'll see. Utah's good. Utah only lost to BYU. They lost to Sierra State in three overtimes and lost to Oregon State. But I think, I mean, that's why Utah's a three-point favorite on Oregon. But very, it's going to be a, that's a game next, uh, it's like 7.30 on Saturday night. It's a must-watch game. Yeah, Oregon to me doesn't, doesn't, live up to the hype of being one of these top seeds with how they just kind of squeak by and definitely not the three seed. Uh, l- let's move on here and talk about uh, Ohio State. Well, beating uh, Purdue 59-31, uh, Alex O'Connell, another NFL prospect, threw for 390 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that's the, the, if Ohio State ever played Georgia, that would be the offense versus the defense because Ohio State just scores. I mean, this is, now they're back to scoring, I think, the first five possessions. They first seven possessions they scored. Um, Smith, Nakiba, the one wide receiver, 139 yards and touchdown. Will Scott Wilson, 126 yards, three touchdowns. Olave, 85 yards and a touchdown. And Stroud, their quarterback, I mean, Missed only seven passes, 31 for 38, five touchdowns. I mean, for the year, he's, he, like Bryce Young, has 3,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, three interceptions. But uh, now Ohio State, now they, they have it right here. They beat Purdue. Now they have Michigan State next week and Michigan the following week and uh, win that, and then they win the Big Ten Championship, and they'll be playing for the National Championship. But C.J. Stroud is a freshman. is clearly the freshman of the year. But, well, it's very interesting to see how well he's been playing and, and and that Penn State game was a little off, but but uh, the Purdue its defense is terrible. So we'll see what happens. But Michigan State—that's why next week Ohio State's a twenty-point favorite over Michigan State because people think that there's no way Michigan, Ohio State's going to score like the same thing, sixty points. 
uh, we had Cincinnati traveling to Tampa to take on South Florida. <laughs> that was on Friday night. Cincinnati's had some close wins the last, like, three weeks against Navy and Tulsa and Tulane. They finally sort of blew out South Florida 45-28. But at this point now, really, style points don't matter so much. But Desmond Ritter played well again, their star quarterback. But, again, it's like Cincinnati's been playing these teams that, they whatever, there's nothing they can do. They just got to really hope Oregon loses and they have to have hope Oklahoma and Oklahoma State don't look so good that they're going to pass them. So it's things that have to happen for Cincinnati to get in uh, to it, but being 10-0. Talk about the number seven we mentioned earlier, Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan State easily won against Maryland, forty to twenty-one. And the interesting part is Kenneth Walker. He's the best running back in the country. Thirty carries, one hundred forty-three yards, two touchdowns. And I really believe. I mean, this Ohio State-Michigan State game next week is so key. If Walker has this big game, Michigan State beats Ohio State. I think that puts him even above Bryce Young uh, if he rushes for like 200 yards against Ohio State, which he can't because Ohio State's defense is terrible. If he carries that Michigan State wins that game, you're going to see Kenneth Walker being the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. That's why that's such a big game. The Utah-Oregon game's huge, but that Michigan State-Ohio State game is huge next week. So we had uh, one of the better matchups of the week, both ranked teams in Baylor and Oklahoma, and Baylor pulled out the upset. Well, and this is the game that Oklahoma now beat Nebraska by seven, Washington, uh, West Virginia by three, Kansas State by six, Texas Tech by, by Texas by seven. They've been just squeaking by every, so they finally lose. They had a 17-game winning streak, 23 Kentucky games winning in November. But Cal Williams, who early in the week were like, oh, the freshman, he, he's the freshman. They inserted uh, over Spencer, rather. He's going to be the Heisman Trophy. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy. They pulled him out of the game. They bring Spencer Rattler in, but they were leading, they were losing the whole game. They got controversy at the end because Lincoln Riley was mad because they, the way they do this tiebreaker with Baylor, if there's two losses, it's the overall victory margin. So Baylor kicked a field goal with three seconds to go. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, Lincoln Riley didn't think it was appropriate for, I mean, Oklahoma should not be concerned about someone kicking a field goal. I mean, the, the goal is like, yeah, I would never think Nick Saban would ever be upset no. about that. So I think it shows that there's something weird about the whole situation. And Oklahoma, don't lose. Like, you're supposed to be a favorite. You're a favorite by, uh, I think, you're a favorite by touchdown. Win the game, and don't complain about someone kicking a field goal at the end of the game. Notre Dame rolled over Virginia. And Notre Dame beat Virginia, which they had to do, but it really doesn't matter because I just, I said with Cincinnati ahead of them, and then Oklahoma State killed TCU 63-17. And the other game I thought was intriguing was uh, Texas A&M with two losses, first Mississippi with two losses. There was an outside chance that Texas A&M beat Mississippi, and say Alabama lost to Auburn, that Texas A&M would get into the SEC title game. But they ended up losing. I mean, it's been a weird year for them. They, they've had some bad losses in terms of, uh, of game. You know, the Alabama win was huge, but now there were three losses there. And, but it was a big statement game for Mississippi. And then uh, Wake Forest has one loss, too, but they're the ACC. They play Clemson next week. Uh, they, they just have no victories that of any importance whatsoever. And uh, so even though they're 45, they, they no defense either. But I think Clemson will beat them next week. So I think they'll have their second loss. But I don't, don't look for Wake Forest to be in the college football playoff. Their schedule has been far, even weaker than Cincinnati's. You want to talk about uh, Pitt and UNC? I think Thursday night was one of the – there was 20 NFL – uh, general manager or assistant general manager of the game because it was Kelly Pickett, who's the star quarterback for Pitt, who's 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions, and Sam Howe, who this year is a little off, but the first two years was the same thing, like 38 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, both could be first-round picks. 
and Pitt was destroying UNC and then almost blew the entire game and the, they won in overtime. But how everybody saw his uh, offensive line was terrible. Uh, the Pitt, big win for Pitt, um, but I think it was, I think how even though in, in a loss, people now say, wow, he really plays with no offensive line. His wide receivers are dropping every pass. So I think it actually elevated him in this game. And Kelly Pickett looks great. I mean, people are, are looking that the Steelers might draft Kelly Pickett to go from Pitt to, to Pittsburgh. I mean, the last time they, they passed on a great Pitt quarterback was Dan Marino. And we saw what happened there. But, uh, um, but that was what was intriguing. I was, like, flipping between the Dolphin game and I was watching, the, the, of course, the, that, was, uh, that was Thursday night, the Dolphin game and the uh, Pitt-UNC game. It's 721. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. we got just about 18 minutes or so until we have to get to Pete Corrado. Uh, but we've got to talk about this, Ira. Another really bad loss for the Miami Hurricanes. Not necessarily in score, but just in the fact that this, this is your rival in FSU and heads are starting to roll at the University of Miami. Well, Blake James, their general, their athletic director, was just fired today. Uh, Miami beat Florida State 52-10. to and they, this game they had it won, but Jordan Travis uh, on fourth and fifteen to believe this fast to Andrew Bargeman. Uh, then he ran in with twenty six seconds to go. So Florida State now they're four and six. Miami's five and five. And uh, with with um, with uh, the uh, athletic director fired, I cannot believe Manny Diaz. I mean, this is just it's just a matter of time that he's not going to be there. I mean, he's been there this is third year, but it seems like they're going to want to make a change at this point. I mean, Kirk Herbstreit came out very strongly against Miami. A lot of the other commentators did, and they said it's not just Diaz; it's the AD, it's the president. So, what does the president do? The president fires the AD. <laughs> yeah, funny how that goes. But yeah, we were talking off here. I can't see Manny Diaz keeping his job through a new a new hire. Probably a lame duck there. Talk about uh, UF because they had a win. They had a win, but when I was at the Penn State game, and when they announced the score, that you didn't believe it, right? <laughs> 42, 42 to thirty-five at halftime. I was like, "What?" And Sanford was paid a half a million dollars. It took an eight-hour bus ride to the game. There were thirty-three or thirty-four point underdog for the game, and they're winning at halftime, forty-two thirty-five. Uh, Florida gave up five hundred and thirty yards. I remember, F- Florida, Sanford is an FCS. They don't even play in division like the Division One, as we look at it in terms of even the Power Five or the other conference. It was the forty-two points and a half was the most that Florida has ever given up, and uh, it was just a terrible. I mean, the win by seventy fifty. I mean, he was Dan Mullen was saying how great. To win a win, but to give up that points, to give up 52 points to Sanford is just ridiculous. But uh, he's Dan Mullen. I, I I don't know. I mean, he. I think he's gonna. I think he he's gonna survive another year because he was been ten and three and eleven two and eight and four last year. Uh, but I think that this is he better turn around next year. But I do. I don't think they're gonna make the change. But it's, it seems like in college football now that they're making changes much faster at these at these coaching positions. And why don't we wrap it up with Texas, because this is a bad loss. Okay, this game, I turned it on, and I was really rooting for Kansas, because Kansas entering Saturday had, it was an O and 100 as an underdog of 24 <laughs> points. <laughs> they've, had, uh, um, they've had five straight, they, they, this is now five straight losses for Texas, uh, the longest losing streak in 65 years. The Kansas coming to the game had 21 consecutive losses, uh, they also had 18 uh, consecutive conference losses. So they, I mean, everything, Kansas is terrible. They're just awful. They were 30-point underdogs in this game. And uh, it was the largest in the history of the Big 12. It was the largest spread upset ever. 
And in the third quarter, Kansas was up 42-21. And then I'm like, wow, Kansas can really pull this off. And then Texas scored a bunch of touchdowns. But then Kansas kept scoring. I mean, Texas defense is so bad. And then in overtime, and then it was, I felt bad because Texas, Kansas was driving to win the game. Kansas intercepted them in the end zone. So I thought, oh, they're going to win there. But then they turned the ball over. Texas goes down and scores quickly, makes it 49-49, scores easily the first play of the overtime. And then Kansas scores in the overtime. And then they go for two. And I was like, oh, my gosh, go for two. And they complete it to a guy, to a tight end, who had never – it was his first time he ever played on offense. He's only a defensive player. He was a walk-on on Kansas. He was a walk-on on Kansas's team, not just everything. <laughs> like most people in Kansas couldn't even get on Texas's team. And Tom Herman now – I mean, not Tom, uh, Tom Herman, but uh, Steve Sarkeesian, who replaced Tom Herman. Uh, this has been – they started 4-1, and one, and uh, now they've lost five straight and has a huge buy of like $16 million. But this, they cannot get it right. I mean, they have – Texas now has been uh, the only rank in the top 25 three times in the last nine years. And they fired Charlie Strong. They fired Tom Herman. And Steve Sarkeesian, he could get fired this year. I mean, that loss to Kansas, that's like people were talking about his job security, and they're like, well, he should be back for another year. They'll be back for another year. They said, well, assume, you know, of course he's going to beat Kansas. Well, he didn't beat Kansas. But it's just when we talked to him earlier about Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, they can't even win the Big 12. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Vanderbilt might be able to beat them. <laughs> what are we looking forward to this weekend? Um, some, some, some big games. The Michigan State-Ohio State game, Iowa State's at Oklahoma, and uh, SMU and Cincinnati, the Oregon-Utah game. Uh, Alabama plays Arkansas, the 20-point favorites, and then Wake Forest at Clemson. So there's about six or seven really good games this week. Uh, let's jump over to the NFL here on Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. Um, you were there, Lions and Steelers, Ira, first tie of the year. And this we knew with Big Ben going out for COVID uh, reasons on Saturday or on Friday, it was going to be rough. Mason Rudolph didn't get a lot of first-team reps. And we knew this was probably going to be sloppy, but it was very, very sloppy. Kind of a, kind of a mess of a game, I it was it was sloppy in terms of the just inept offense on both teams. I, it was it was not the interceptions, but it was the fumbles. It was just they couldn't. Mason Rudolph was terrible. I mean, just it's amazing how and and Jared Goff was even worse. I, when you watch this game, you're like, how in the world did Jared Goff was? He, is this the same Jared Goff that was was the quarterback for the Rams that was scoring 45, 50 points a game? But there was no Ben, no Juju Smith-Schuster, no Chase Claypool. Um, Pitt's first drive was amazing. They passed and ran, and it was like out of a textbook almost and Washington scored a touchdown you're thinking okay this is going to be uh, easily and then uh, Detroit has the ball and, and, and one of their plays Goff this, one of the line wide receiver was so open he was 10 yards open and Goff like throws the ball up and it just was it was terrible it was, just, it was almost intercepted I don't know how you even get a ball intercepted with that but uh, Rudolph threw it just a stupid, I mean, you're, you're watching Rudolph throw the ball. It's like, why are you even throwing the ball through an interception? And uh, then this uh, Jamari Jefferson, if someone's watching this game and they say, Devontae Smith carried the ball 33 times, but Jefferson had a 48-yard touchdown run where the Steelers just let him run. It was 10-10 at halftime. And then you begin the second half, and then Iguodawaki, who is the, the third-string running back, had a 42-yard run. you got to watch this. The Steelers missed six tackles. I mean, the vaunted Steeler defense missed every – it's like every Steeler had a chance to tackle them, and they just missed them. They just couldn't tackle them. And uh, it, was, it was just really weird in terms of what Steelers then tied it at 16-16. But after the rest of the half, so they, the score was tied, 16-16. And for the rest of the game, you know, the Lions had the ball three times. The Steelers had the ball three times, and they all have to, to punt the ball. And uh, Steelers were, had the ball three minutes left in the game. The Steelers were at the 50 – at the 50-yard line, we threw it to go, okay, okay, just get field goal, end of the game. Rudolph, two terrible incompletions. 
and then they get the Lions get the ball back, first and 10 on the 50. They had to punt. They had to force overtime. So it was like absolutely pathetic at the end. So you go to overtime, and then, okay, the Steelers are in great shape in overtime. Uh, DeAndre Johnson catches the ball. He goes to the 45-yard line, but he fumbles the ball. Like, they're in borderline field goal range, and he fumbles the ball. And then the Lions, of course, can't do anything at all. And uh, But, oh, they get to the ball. They, they miss a 50. They, they, were, they were at the Steelers 28. But then they get a holding call. Now, why would you? You're third and four in the Pittsburgh 28. Just run the ball, get a little closer. Don't try a play that you get a penalty on. So now the kicker has to kick a 51-yard field goal. He misses that. And then the Steelers get the ball back. They snap it over Mason Rudolph's head. They finally get the ball back. And Firemuth, in the, in the final seconds, has the ball on the 38. He's going down. He fumbles the ball. So it's just a mess at the end. Steelers had their chances. Lions had their chances. Uh, complete disaster. That's why I think it, the 16-16 tie was probably what, how this game should have ended. Both teams were. But it hurts a lot for the Steelers because they're 5-3-1, and one, whereas um, uh, the Lions 0-8-1. Uh, you know, they just wanted to get their first win. But for the Steelers, they needed that this win, so a tie was whatever it is. Yeah, six and three looks a lot better than five, three, and one. I do find it amazing after every tie, there's like six guys who played in the game. Like, I didn't even know we could tie. And it's so funny how these pros, yeah, this happens Harris, constantly. Good. I love Najee Harris. I have so many good pictures of him. He is phenomenal. And that's what the Steelers, on, on the, when they get in the goal line, they go with like fourth and two, a couple. It was a, there was a first down and two where they settled for a field goal. And they don't run the Najee at all. Um, they throw the ball with Rudolph. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, again, it's sort of the same criticism of the Penn State is that you listen to the commentators like, why in the world are you throwing the ball not, not, instead of running it with Najee Harris? He's phenomenal. He's, he's, it's just, he, he's going to be, he's, it's not that he's, now with Henry out, I think he's the best back in the league. But uh, I just love watching him play, number 22 for this deal. It, it, it's funny that you say that about them, you know, taking the field goal in, in close. Because we've been talking about how the NFL is evolving and all these young coaches. I mean, there was guys going for it yesterday, Ira, fourth and seven from their own 20 were going for it. But Mike Tomlin's old school. It's like, we're in here, it's fourth down, we're kicking a field goal. That's just what we do. We're the Steelers. Right. I mean, it was one thing, but I, I think it's more of using Rudolph to pass it, whether the Steelers and everyone's Ben to be gone. This is Ben's last year. When you, Ben's not the quarterback, they look terrible. I'd rather have Ben at whatever Ben is now than, than Rudolph or whatever. It's hard to get these quarterbacks. It's hard to get rookies in. It's hard to sign for agents. I mean, it's just difficult. That's why, I mean, well, I'd like, I like having Ben in the game, and I think Ben can make plays. And he's it's, it's just not, he's smarter. Rudolph, just, this was a good chance for Rudolph to show. Yes, that he exactly. Could be either to get another position. I just, Every time he has a chance, he doesn't stand out. I mean, no one's saying, hey, remember that great game Mason Rudolph had? So Mike White has had better big games. He's that one big game with the Jets than Mason Rudolph has ever had. I agree with you, though. This was a one and potentially two-week showcase for Mason Rudolph to say, hey, I want this job after this year. Didn't look like it to me. Baltimore and Miami. Let's go back to Thursday night. What a win for Miami. Very sloppy in the first half. But Miami's defense made gave Lamar Jackson fits all night, Ira. Well coached by Brian Flores. Congrats to Miami. And Miami's next four games, two versus the Jets, one versus the Giants, and one versus Carolina. They may go on a little streak here. Let's hold it. Hold the horses. <laughs> I mean, Jacoby Brissett gets hurt in the third quarter. Tua comes in. He was just only coming for like a flight. Ended up staying there the rest of the game. But I think Tua gets credit. I think this is good for the morale of Tua to come in because it was last year. It was more uh, Fitzpatrick had to come in to rescue Tua or whatever. It's weird. This time he came in. I thought he played well. And uh, and but definitely ball. It was the Miami defense who. 
the win over the Texans, I was more of saying, well, the Texans are net offensively. But uh, now Baltimore's streak of 51 regular season games with 14 points was, was broken. Um, and uh, it was the second longest in NFL history. Uh, but it was, uh, it, w- it was one of those wins where, yeah, Lamar Jackson, he's had, now they've had a couple of these games. Every time people want to say, okay, the Ravens are here, Lamar Jackson's the MVP, then they pull a game like this out where, like, no, they're not that good. I mean, it's, it, was a, it was a bad loss. I think it was more of a – Big loss, big, I think it was a bad loss for Baltimore because Baltimore could have wanted to say, okay, now we have, we're eight and two or seven and two. We're this dominant team. And now they're sort of just like everyone else, the Bengals, the Browns, the Steelers. They're not elite. Um, so Dallas, well, a lot of blowouts uh, yesterday, Ira. Dallas got crushed by Denver last week and they came out with, on a mission versus Atlanta and they just, they showed why, you know, Atlanta been kind of building a little momentum. They put Atlanta back in that lower rung. Yeah, if they were up 36-3 at halftime, Dan Quinn, the former coach of, da- of Atlanta, is running the defense at Dallas. And I think, yeah, I think it was one of those things. But I think this is a good bounce back. After that, Denver last year, like, Lord, are the Cowboys for real? I think they showed they're for real. And, uh, and for, I mean, their defense, I mean, Matt Ryan was 9 for 21 for 170 yards, two interceptions, just played terrible. I mean, this was a total, I mean, these, we're going to go through these games real quick, but there are four, four complete. You don't really see blowouts like these in the NFL. Yeah, New England, what they did to Cleveland is just crazy. I mean, Mac Jones, it's not even close to him. You know, second place for rookie of the year is light years behind Mac Jones right now. Yeah, sort of like when Larry Bird, the whole Larry Bird walking into a three-point shooting contest and said, who's playing, you know, who's going to finish second? Um, no, Mac Jones has this one, but he's never 24-7 at halftime. Um, the Baker Mayfield's hurt, but remember, they're playing without Chubb. They're playing out with Hunt. The Ernest Johnson was a running back. They, they, they traded away Odell Beckham, but this is uh, uh, Cleveland's a five and five, and, and just didn't look good at all. And uh, and it, we'll we'll see how hard how injured Mayfield is. But I mean, some people had Cleveland Cleveland going to the Super Bowl, and the Steelers had had the win over them. And now this happened in terms of New England. It's it's the Cleveland has a very good defense, but you can't say that that good a defense when New England puts forty five points against. Yeah, when a rookie puts up forty five points against you, uh, not good. So talked about bounce backs. No, nobody bounced back like Buffalo did after losing the Jags last week. They rolled over the Jets and. Buffalo really can't run the ball at all outside of Josh Allen. Their running backs got going. Well, they, they, they I think was they actually had a, they were using the running back by committing like 140 rushing yards and four touchdowns. I think that's their key. But Josh Allen is he's been had some couple of bad weeks. He had almost 400 yards passing, two touchdowns. They got Stefan Diggs involved. I know he's in my fantasy team, so I'm happy. But certainly the Mike White. Everyone, my Jets fans, was like Mike White's going to be Zach Wilson. He's going to take his job. He's going to be like well, four interceptions. He looked terrible. Uh, but Buffalo, big bad. I think the Buffalo and Dallas wins were the same thing. They both played teams they should beat. They were both favored and they destroyed them. So everything was key for both of them. So Arizona last week with Colt McCoy under center looked pretty good. Got a really big win. I thought that they were going to crush, not crush Carolina, but win handily. And Carolina with a back, third string, technically, uh, between between P.J. Walker and uh, Cam Newton, came out and just rolled over Arizona. And what I thought was a very good defense, too. And they just weren't yesterday. Well, I think, I'll tell you what, Matt Rule has a college background being at Temple and Baylor. I think when Cam Newton, I, someone made a great point, and I don't know who, I don't want to give credit, but Cam Newton is probably not perfect for every team in the league. He is beyond perfect for Carolina. Like this Cam Newton, and also Cam Newton's problem the last few years when Carolina got beat up by the end of the year, and then he was, at the end of the year, he was tired and was hurt, was injured. Now he only has to play half a season. But they signed Cam Newton back. 
Cam Newton's attitude has been, I'm so glad, I'm so happy to be back. The fans are happy for him to be back. I mean, everything is perfect. Like he's gonna, This is absolutely the most perfect situation for someone who, who took, led the team to Super Bowl, was the MVP of the league, um, and now he's back at Carolina. And he only played a part of this game, but he, he only like two days of practice um, with McCafferty healthy, with Matt Rule as coach. I really like. It. I think Carolina is making the playoffs. I'm. This was a brilliant, brilliant move. I we as we talked about thinking about where Kansas would go, maybe uh, New Orleans. But I thought this was a great move by Carolina and uh, and Arizona. Look, I mean, that's well, did they got it? They're they're going to lose without Kyler Murray. That last week was an aberration, but that was a 34-10. The game wasn't even close, and they're eight and two. But this could also be. I, whether Kyler Murray could play with a 17-game season, I'm not calling it load management, but I'm calling it where some of these teams, if a player is not perfect, maybe they don't play because as the season's longer, more teams get in the playoffs. So this is not like, oh, they decided Kyler Murray should have rest. But an injury, if there was only 16 games and only six teams made the playoffs, maybe Kyler Murray doesn't sit out this game. Just about three minutes till we got to get to Pete Carrado here on Iron Sports. Agree with you. Cam Newton actually came out that he turned down offers. Uh, Seattle offered him a, ju- a contract, and someone else did too. Turned him down and waited for the right opportunity. So good for Cam Newton because that did come along. Kansas City, this is, you know, everyone's talking, what's wrong with Mahomes? Is he not the same quarterback he used to be? The Vegas plays them really well, and they did not last night. No, 41 to 14. I watched that on t- last night after the game, and it was like back to normal Kansas City. They're 6 and 4, but I. It was like there was a lot of pressure on Kansas City. Mahomes had 400 yards, five touchdowns. Kelsey was involved. Uh, uh, Hill, seven catches, 82 yards, two, two touchdowns. But the Raiders, no rushing game at all. And Kansas City, I think the issue, I think the key was the Kansas City defense actually started. I think they were getting embarrassed week after week. They finally played well against Vegas. But they're 6-4, and four, Vegas 5-4. and four. Talk about uh, New Orleans and Tennessee. This was maybe the game of the day. Well, Tennessee now at 8-2. and two. I mean, who would have thought they lose Derrick Henry? But look who they beat. They beat Buffalo, Kansas City, Indianapolis, the Rams, the Saints. These are all good teams. They play yeah. in Texas next. The, the, Tennessee is going to be 9-2. and two. And this, people are not talking about this. Derrick Henry is supposed to be back by, like, the last game of the season or the first game of the playoffs. So they're going to get Derrick Henry back. Ryan Tannehill is running. I mean, with his Julio Jones is on IR. A.J. Brown had one catch, and they still end up winning the game. Mike Rabel is doing, I mean, coach of the year. Coach of the year. I mean, this, he's going to be 9-2 and two after next week. But uh, been a big win for Tennessee, and no one saw this. When Derrick Henry went down, they're like, oh, they'll be lucky to make the playoffs. Lucky they might be the number one seed. So Tom Brady yesterday just didn't look right. I don't know if... If Washington's defense is finally starting to come around after high expectations, but they looked great against Tom Brady yesterday. Remember last year in the playoffs, what the, the worst game of the entire playoffs that the NBA had was the game at Washington. That he had trouble at Washington that year. You know, they ended up beating uh, New Orleans at New Orleans, Green Bay at Green Bay, and then winning the Super Bowl at home. But that was his toughest game was actually the Washington game. But his first pass, he had two interceptions. One wasn't his fault on the first six passes. But uh, the key of the game was at 23-19, Tampa cut it in the fourth. And then Washington had a 19-play 80-yard drive. I watched this on TikTok. They were saying it was 10 minutes with 10 minutes and 26 second drive the whole time. And Washington came down and scored and did it in 23-29-19. And Tampa had no chance to come in. And that's how the, how the end of a game. It's just uh, uh, Taylor Heineke 
Uh, what a great drive there at the end to have 19 plays, 80 yards, 10 minutes and 26 seconds. But they lose Chase Young. Washington does for the season with a torn ACL. And Vita Vea, who's a real big star for the Tampa defense, got hurt. We'll see how uh, what his, his injuries are. Another game that was just sloppy, Ira, and my phone is going off the entire uh, 4 o'clock you know, window. People are like, what is up with this Green Bay and Seattle game? We expected some kind of fireworks or something with these two quarterbacks coming back. And it just wasn't that. Green Bay... Didn't look good, but they won handily. Seattle looked bad. I got to think that Russell Wilson was hurt. I mean, he's playing in cold weather. His his finger had a pin in for the last six weeks. Um, he was trouble throwing the ball. I, I, I give him credit for coming out there, but maybe he wasn't ready for this game, and uh, and maybe Geno Smith should have played instead. But uh, Seattle hasn't been wasn't shut out in the last ten years. First time they've been shut out. First time they shut out under Russell Wilson. But it was three nothing going the fourth quarter. Was still with the chance, and uh, it was the lowest score through three quarters of any NFL game since two thousand eight. But, uh, look, Green Bay, they're 8-2. and two. They're doing what they have to do. They could get that number one seed uh, in, in the NFC. But uh, in Seattle, it was a must win. They're 3-6. and six. But, again, the way the playoffs are set up, they still nobody's out of it. I mean, there's, there's maybe five teams that are out of the whole playoff. Uh, tonight we're going to see Rams 49ers. Odell Beckham Jr. gets his uh, first appearance in a Rams jersey, and he's going to get increased targets because Robert Woods is out for the season with a torn ACL. Robert Ward's tears his ACL on Friday, but, but Beckham was signed before. We were talking about Beckham going to New Orleans, Beckham was going to Kansas City, but he likes the limelight, likes L.A., likes the new stadium, likes the weather. This is, this is the perfect place for him, and now they really needed him. And then now Von Miller is coming. So you put Von Miller with the defensive line with Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd. I mean, this is going to be great. And I have Odell and Cooper Cup as wide receivers. Uh, I'm pumped. I mean, the, the Rams are is that for in San Francisco? And you're like, oh, San Francisco at home. They, they're one in, I think, what one in four, the, one in eight at home over the last two years. The 49ers at home. Uh, so I like the Rams to win this game. But it's, uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo has been playing a little better for San Francisco. So this is exciting. This will be a great game to see. Odell Beckham. He is like he leads the league on Monday Night Football in terms of catches and yards. And you got Von Miller on defense and. The whole, it's good. Matthew Stafford, all the stars are out. So I'm pumped for this game. This is it's a very good. They've had some good Monday night games. This might be one of the best. How's the uh, playoffs looking? Really, everybody in the AFC, 11, how about this? 11 of the six teams, 16 teams have five or six wins. 11 and 16. Tennessee's 8 and 2. And then the only teams that are out of are Houston, Jacksonville, Jets, and Dolphins. Everyone else, they could either be a one, probably a two seed or a, or a seven, or a yeah, seven seed. The NFC, Dallas, Packers, Tampa, Arizona, and the Rams, those are the, those have five of the seats. Remember, there's two more left. But that any, it's almost anybody's game because five wins still has that, you know, six or seven seed. Um, but, uh, and then next week, just want to say the two big games, humongous game. Dallas at Kansas City. That's 425 on Fox. And then I'll be at the Steeler Charger game Sunday night, which is going to be great. My first time at SoFi Field. So those are the two big games for next week. Let's go to Pete Carrado here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports on 959 6.9 West Palm Beach. We're honored today to have Pete Carrado uh, on talking about his new book, From Hang Time to Prime Time Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA. Uh, Pete's written uh, for their time, Slam, the AV Club, and a lot of other places. So, Pete, thanks a lot for coming on and talking about your book. I just read it uh, this weekend. It was amazing. Oh, thanks, Ira. Happy to be here. So you chose to, to – so we, we had uh, Tim Frank on when David Stern passed away last year and sort of gave sort of some sort of the history of the NBA about the time. about like Because I think we look at the NBA today and not understanding that what the NBA was – 
before 1975 and in the 70s that it was like literally it wasn't even something that we looked at as minor league, minor league baseball. Like a single minor league team was more advanced than the, than, than the NBA was back in those days. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was a, um, I mean, it really was a rinky-dink league. I mean, the, the, you you know, I think the, the you know, I'm, I'm 44, and when I became an NBA fan, I, the NBA was this big, glittering, uh, well-oiled machine with, you know, national television coverage and, and, you know, big fancy arenas. And the NBA of the, of the 19, up to the 1970s was really, it was almost minor league in terms of the facilities. I mean, there were, there were teams that struggled to pay bills. Um, you know, there, it, it was, it was quite a, a difference from the NBA that we, that we know today where, you know, every, every game is seemingly a sellout and the TV rights get sold for billions and each, each franchise is, is worth, you know, I think the floor is like 2 billion now. It, it's crazy. But the NBA of the 1970s was really a league that was looking for an identity, looking for relevance and didn't, didn't have any of the cachet that it has today. So, and what one of the re- what was one of the reasons uh, because of that? Because I mean, college basketball was popular. So you had, yeah. I mean, there was, and I think football had their switch. It, I would, I would, had uh, Eisenberg, uh, who wrote a good poll of the league about the NFL, and it was right mm-hmm. after World War II when college football used to rule the land, trans, you know, the landscape of football. And then after World War II, then the NFL started to gain in prominence. But why did it take so long for the NBA to catch on? Because the NFL, you mentioned somewhere where the NBA was getting like a few million dollars for their marketing. While the NBA, the NFL was in the hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of, of uh, sponsorship from the networks. Yeah, well, I think it kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit. I mean, the, the baseball and football, college and, and the NFL, you know, they, they, they're kind of ingrained in the American culture, you know. And, you know, baseball has, has been around for, God, since the 1800s. I mean, it, the, the, the country kind of grew up with it. Uh, football really had a, a, a symbiotic relationship with television. I mean, it came of age, they came of you know they came of age together you know the 1958 championship game was you know i think was the fir- was you know the first overtime game and it was you know, when television was just catching on as as a as an important medium you know the the nba didn't have that i mean for 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 two reasons first the nba didn't have great television coverage it didn't have a steve sable or a rune arledge kind of taking the the game under its wing and showing what it could become as a visual medium the NBA didn't really have that until the 1980s. And the second thing, the, the second reason was, you know, it, I hate to sound, I hate to simplify it, but it was a race thing. You know, if, you know, I think for a, for a long time, I think a lot, a lot of white America was very reluctant to get behind a sport where the most popular players were black. I think there's, there's a, there's a sense of, well, if I see Mickey Mantle on the screen or in a ballpark, or I see um, Joe Namath, I can relate to that. And there was there was very there was very much a disconnect with um with, with the NBA, with uh, with with regular television viewers and the NBA. The other thing too to, to add on to add to that answer is the NBA didn't really have a, a superstar in the 1950s, 60s, and, and even to the 70s that the that that the populace could could latch on to. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a Michael Jordan. There there wasn't. There wasn't somebody who captured the public imagination. So for a long time, you know, the NBA kind of proceeded without a major matinee idol. 
And that's where you mentioned in your book, you talked, you highlighted the merger with the ABA. And mm-hmm. if people don't remember what the ABA was, they were sort of like, if you watched the Will Ferrell movie, it was sort of like that, the fun side of, <laughs> of basketball. But you're yeah. in, in, when the NFL merged with the AFL, it was like two competing things, and really the NFL was bringing the NFL in. But you said, you mentioned that it, it wasn't just that the NBA uh, saved the teams from the ABA there because they couldn't function right because they had no contract or anything but it's like the players like all the great nba players were retiring uh, jerry west will Chamberlain, mm-hmm. elgin baylor but the aba was, was the team was the league with the uh, david thompson's the julius irving's all these fun exciting players and when all those younger players came in that gave the shot, you know, a shot in the arm to the nba you're exactly right i mean 74 it's 1974 when all those great all those great players they mentioned they they were they they were aging, and the players that were popular and young in the NBA were not. They didn't engender a, a lot of goodwill. I mean, in the, I write about this in the book. Pete Maravich was a wonderful player, but he was somebody who was kind of like a basketball robot. He and he was he was very ill at ease in, in the spotlight. He had a lot of personal problems that he didn't really resolve until before he died in 1988. The other the other star one of the other star players of that era was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was a marvelous player but he's seven foot two seven foot three that's a hard size for fans to kind of identify with the other thing with Kareem is that he was like Maravich he wasn't really a, a, a player that was great with the press and he had a lot and he you know and again he was a, he was a Muslim which at that time was a really misunderstood religion if you think it's misunderstood now just head back to 1974 Milwaukee so there, there were a couple of obstacles that kept Kareem from being um, from being the, the mainstream success or the mainstream um, star that he maybe would have liked to have been. So to have someone like Julius Irving come in, who was just this, you know, not only who was just a empirically great player who did things that no one had really ever seen before, who, but entirely have that a player with his ability come along, but to have someone like him who was an ambassador for the league who was just polished and, ele- and elegant and just you know, really kind of just poured into a into a tuxedo, was was a marvelous um, uh, stroke of, stroke of luck for the NBA. And as you mentioned, all these players that came up, the George Gervins, the, the Bobby Joneses, the the David Thompsons, the Dan Issels, they were great open core players who added youth and energy into a game that you know was getting getting a little stodgy. Right, and that you mentioned that right, everybody even in college basketball where you weren't allowed to dunk the basketball. Yeah. Can you imagine the rule of not allowing the dunks of the basketball? And the NBA sort of followed along with that. And when suddenly, when these ABA players came in, then we seen the game we see now—the free flowing, the movement, mm-hmm. um, the dunks, the, the fast breaks, and those things that we that make the NBA so popular today. Yeah, no, I mean the ABA ha- has had a remarkable influence on 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 pro basketball, not only the style of play, but also in terms of the spectacle of an NBA game. Because if you look at who at, at who crossed over, um, Carl Shear, who was the GM of the De- of the Denver Nuggets, the ABA retained that position in the NBA, and he was somebody who brought a lot of spectacle and a lot of glitz and glitter to an NBA to an NBA game, and. You know, Carl Shear was also the was also the uh, the person who helped create All Star Game Weekend by having a slam dunk con- contest at the '84 All Star Game in Denver. So there was a lo- there was the ABA's influence on the NBA is is, is remarkable, and it's so- it's something that I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, you know, because again, I think as you mentioned earlier, the the league was just was in such shambles. 
um, and was always sort of on the uh, was always a breath away from folding. I think that gets a lot of the attention. And certainly, your book highlights David Stern, who I mean, we talk about is he the greatest commissioner of any sports? Where you know, Keith Rozell and David Stern have that they comparison for that. But really, is he one of the greatest? anything executives of any company or whatever because whatever he was his just his vision of understanding marketing and everything and understanding his product and his passion uh, it was just it was amazing and when he said i like in your book he said he goes the owners are going to know that they work for me i don't work for them because yeah. the owners went along with that because they said we can't get on we can't agree on what we're going to eat for lunch let alone run this league or all this out of business we're going to let david just make his money yeah, I th- to me, David to me, David Stern is, is the greatest commissioner in professional sports history. Um, especially the years I would say, you know, nineteen eighty three to nineteen ninety five. I think he is he is, he is amazing because he he grew a sport that barely had any national relevance into a sport that had international relevance. Um, and you 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 touched on it just now as a marketer. He was he had he had a vision a vision and an ability to get the most out of his product and to leverage the emotional content from the NBA into, into big business and into sales. And not only that, he, he was a zealot for the league and a preacher for the league, but he got everyone on board with it. If you were a potential employee, you got excited to work for David Stern. If you were an advertising partner, David Stern made you excited to be part of the NBA. His, his enthusiasm and his tenacity um, rub people the wrong way. I mean, Davidson was not a saint. He was not somebody who I think um, you know was like was liked among a lot a lot of people. But he was somebody who got the job done. And in the NBA, his, the people that worked for him and with him, they loved him, and they also loved him because he he just he was just so passionate about what he did. But he was also so smart about it. I mean, he was somebody who, in business meetings, listened. And he asked questions like he never David Stern never pretended that he knew everything. So if he was meeting with like, let's say, the CEO of Coca-Cola or or Bush beer or Anheuser-Busch, excuse me, he was going to ask questions. He was going to understand what they wanted and what and what their business was about, because that's how he got better. He was never somebody who said, well, I know the answers to everything. He, He he was very he was a willing and eager student. And I think that's what made him great. And you mentioned you highlight the certain areas like the '83 All Star Game, where the All Star Game was somewhere like you couldn't even like they had to give tickets away. And that I guess you mentioned the, the anecdote where he went to an All Star Game one time and a scalper tried to sell him a ticket for twenty dollars. <laughs> it was five dollars. He said, "I guess we're doing something right now that someone wants twenty dollars." Now I'm someone who I, I've never been to it. I've been to every sport, but I've never been to an All Star Game because I think it's so overpriced and so overhyped. Yeah. I've been to the slam dunks and everything else, but never to the game itself. But the point is, he created this All Star. To him, that was going to be the showpiece event of the NBA and bringing it and what it's become today, which is, you know, to go to a ticket to Ulster game, the worst in house is now $2,000. It's equivalent to, to like a higher than like an NFC championship game or an AFC championship game in football. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but, but David, but yeah, but the all-star, all-star game weekend or all-star, which I, I think which I hate, I hate that term. Um, but all-star game weekend, that was David Stern's baby because it was, because it did a couple of things. First, it, it, pre- it, it presented. It presented. That's the league. Excuse me. That's the league Super Bowl. That's that is when the NBA comes out and shines. And what's what's important about that? What's so important about the about the All Star Game is that not so much the game, 
but the marketing opportunities and the business opportunities. That is a place where business gets done. That's a place where networking takes place. That's a place that that's a, that's an event where if you're a if you are a if you work with the MBA, let's say you work for oh I don't know uh, 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 IBM, you could take your clients to that IBM. You, you, you could take clients and use that to court them for more business. The the All Star Game Week All Star Game Weekend became a marketing business trade show spectacular. And that's David and that's by design. I mean it is it is meant for kids. It is meant for, for it's meant to it's meant to rope in the casual fan. But it's also meant as a way for the NBA to kind of shine for its clients and for the clients to all for their clients to also impress their clients. It, it's really it, it is a remarkable um synergy of business, entertainment and sports. And then you highlighted Jerry Buss and the Lakers, and it's sort of like he's one of the owners that Stern was looking for, is that making the Lakers an event. And I go to so many NBA games, and I love it, and they show everybody, all the celebrities that are there from all, they're all mm-hmm. sitting in the front row, and who's that? And you don't get that in a football game, that, because it's hard. It's hard to find. It's the different places. The first row, front row seats aren't the prime spots, but he said, look, Front row streets are real estate. They're not paying for the yep. game. They're paying for the real estate. And just to make an event that people – so here, think of this. NBA in the, in the 70s, nobody wanted to go to. You couldn't get a celebrity to go to. Suddenly, it was the in thing for people to go to. And not just in L.A., but in, in even if we're down here in Miami and, and everybody. It, it, is the in, it is now the event that people you want to go to. Yeah, I mean, it is. But, but less and less of it is about the game. It, it's about the amenities. It's about – you know, it's about oh, let's go, let's go to this this bar that's in the arena. Let's go to this restaurant. Let's go to this hot spot. I mean, I I, I remember seeing designs. I think for the Pistons' new arena, and it was gonna. And I think right behind the basket, I think in the designs is like a lounge where like you can just sort of mingle and 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 you know have drinks and 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 do your thing. That, that's that's the beauty of of the NBA as a business is that, and, and it's in its DNA. The NBA yes. knows. That it's never that it that it has folks people like you and me for life who love the game and want just or, and 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 just love the players and what they bring to the table and like we're we're not going anywhere but the NBA is masterful at courting young fans with the All Star Game weekend and all the hullabaloo that goes there and the and the product and the video cassettes back in the day and casual fans like like the fans who go to who go to see a crappy Pistons game, but hey, you know what? They get they get to have a nice wine and they get to you know go to this club or do this. And and the Lakers are a prime example of that because not only was the you know, was the was the game on the court worthwhile, especially if you had Magic and Worthy and Kareem running the break, but you had the Forum Club, which was you know sometimes there was there was more good times at the Forum Club than than on the uh, on the uh, on the court itself. And then there's the Laker girls and that celebrity aspect and. You're right. As time goes on, NBA games are are more of a, an event to put on your Instagram account than to watch. But again, there's enough of there's enough diehard fans or fans that love the game itself that it, it doesn't really matter how the game is presented or who goes to the games or 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 what's offered at the games. You know, as long as the game itself doesn't change that much, you know, we're not going anywhere. 
We're talking to Peter Carrada, who has a book out called From Hang Time to Prime Time about the NBA um, from 75 to like, uh, you said, 80, 75 to 89. Um, and just a few more minutes. But I, I think yeah. the question I, you suspension in the book about licensing, licensing and products. And I think that's the one Stern said other people's money. He used Gatorade, mm-hmm. McDonald's, Pepsi, the advertisers. Yeah. And that's what, that's what football and the others didn't have that. I always think the shoe deals was great because in the other sports, he let, he let the players wear their own shoes. So then the companies, then Nike was spending money putting the shoes on, uh, paying, you know, for the advertising, the players. And that was just, to me, the most brilliant move was to having all these other people with the shoes because you don't get that in football. You don't really get that in baseball because they're all have to wear the same shoes, the same companies. But he understood mm-hmm. that if we allow the players to, and that also helped him with salaries because if he put salary caps and locked in how much Kevin Durant, now Kevin Durant makes 40 million from playing, but now a hundred million from shoes. So that's right. allowing, putting a salary cap, letting the superstars make money from other Thing. Now, what what is what's inherent in what you just mentioned is is a quote that to me sums up everything. Among the people that I talked to for this book, I talked to over 300, 315 people. I think I spoke to Joe Cohen, who is the creator of MSG Network. He told me that the tradition of the NBA is that it has no tradition. So that <laughs> so that to me sums up everything. So the so the so Michael Jordan can come, can come along with a shoe. And it, it initially it riles everyone it riles everyone it rubs everyone the wrong way, but David Stern is able to say you know what okay like my kid loves this shoe he says that I'm an a hole so I'm so let's let's keep let's keep let's keep this shoe going, and that's the beauty with everything that happens in the NBA every whim every cultural event the NBA is able to ride ride that to 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 its benefit because there's no tradition the nfl is a tradition-based league baseball oh my god that's the most tradition-laden league um you'll come across you know there's the un- rules and you know the the the, the you know and the, and the shoes that, with the nfl the shoes that look a certain way the nba has none of that and and by doing that you get you, you you're constantly generating news and you're constantly generating different ways to to look at the game to follow the game if you go on twitter half of the morning wrap wrap ups that i look at feature players shoes like that's like the, oh what did kevin durant wear last night oh what did what you know or or even like the runway walk oh what is russell westbrook wearing when you don't when you don't kowtow to american traditionalism this is what happens you get a you get a league where Everything is changing and everything can be news or noteworthy because it's different. No, no NBA, no, no NBA day is the same. It's always different. And that's because, and that's because the NBA doesn't adhere to a tradition. We've been talking to Peter, Pete Carrado, author of From Hang Time to Prime Time. Thanks, Pete, for coming on and talking about your book. I, I encourage everyone to read it. It's a great history of the NBA. It sort of lets you know how we came from a league that, as you said, the minor leagues to now one of the prime sports. So thanks so much for coming on I Run Sports. Ira, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel, Mike Balsamo here, just a minute or two left. Ira, a lot of baseball awards coming out today. Why don't we talk about it? Well, it's uh, all throughout the week. I mean, I think tomorrow the man the so this was the rookie the rookie of the year awards. The manager of the year comes tomorrow. Cy Young on Wednesday, uh, and then uh, the uh, uh, on Thursday the MVP. What did we have come out today already? Uh, rookie of the year went to Randy Arozarena in the AL and Jonathan India in the NL. Is there anything else you want to touch on baseball wise? Oh yeah. Well, on Tuesday, you know, the manager award. 
I, everyone thinks Gabe Kapler of the Giants is going to win in the National League. I think in the American League, it's Kevin Cash of the Rays. Um, I think Dusty Baker should get it for the Astros for the job he did with all the problem they had with the trash cans and stuff like that. I would give it to that. No, no pitching at all. I, working with the Cuban players that came into them, I think he did a great job. But the Cy Young, I think Scherzer should get it over Wheeler. I think people are talking. Scherzer was 15 and four with a 2.46 ERA. Wheeler was 14 and 10 with a 2.780 ERA. I, I really think that Scherzer was a better pitcher than Wheeler um, in in that. But we'll, some people think Wheeler is going to get it in the American League. A lot of people think Robbie Ray of the uh, the Blue Jays is going to get over Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole started out, everyone thought it was his to lose, but after the whole uh, with the arm, with the substance and the friction and the, ticky, the sticky substance on the hands, they, they started checking for that. His ERA was like 4.5 the end of the season. Still think Cole might get it. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure about this one. I think the American League is going to be close. And then for the MVP, uh, the American League is it's, it's Otani in a, it's going to be unanimously easily win it for pitching and he's one of the best pitchers and hitters in the league. But the National League is really close. I mean, the, there's usually how about when a player is going to win it with all these play, teams that make the playoffs? It, it, Harper, Soto, or Tatis, none of them made the playoffs. Uh, Brandon Crawford might be from San Francisco the best player to make it, but probably not going to win it. I I think Harper's going to get it for Philadelphia. They actually he was in the hunt till the end. He had third through hit through nine, thirty five home runs. So I think Harper's going to win his second MVP. Let's talk a little uh, Formula One. Well, I missed it because I was at the Steeler game, but uh, everyone thought this was going to be over between Matthew Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton started on the 10th on the, the, the grid in terms of uh, the start of the race, but he was able to pass Verstappen on the 48th lap. He won, even though he was down 25 points, he cut the lead to 18. Uh, there's now, there's now, uh, um, he's had he cut the lead to 14 with three, uh, uh races left in uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi. So this is going to be exciting. I love Formula One, and these are now early morning races. So they're not going to compete with football, so I get to see that. But between but Hamilton, everyone thought was out. You know, it was going to be finished, and, and uh, Verstappen was going to run away with this for the last few races. But now it looks like there's going to be some excitement, so I'm, I'm pumped for that. And what about boxing? Coming up this week on Saturday night, Terrence Crawford, Sean Porter, welterweights. John Porter had lost to Errol Spence. There's two top welterweights in the last, like, five years. It's Crawford and Spence. Spence has been injured, has been fighting for a while. Crawford lost to him. Porter lost to him in a split decision. Crawford is undefeated, 37-0. He's a 7-1 favorite, so he's a heavy favorite in this. I, Porter might pull the upside. If anyone watches boxing, Porter does a lot of the commentary. He sums across as being extremely intelligent, uh, and I've always liked how he fought. He, you know, he's fought some, he fights everybody. Crawford's sort of, like, not fought great fighters. Um, I would, I'm going to bet money on Porter on this fight. I think Porter's going to upset Crawford, uh, but that's this Saturday. It's, it's a big fight. I think it's going to be a very good welterweight fight. And we are out of time. Thank you so much to Pete Carrado for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.